Bose and TKO's fam, we are live, episode 7, on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon before my jiu-jitsu class, and it's good to have my voice back. I feel like it was gone for a week after the home run derby, it got worse and worse each day till it was dang near gone, so happy to have that back, grateful, practice gratitude, you know what I'm talking about, uh, but it is hot here in the valley, let me tell you what. Um, since the end of June, it hasn't been cooler than like 105. The nights are high eighties, you know, low nineties in the mornings. So I just been trying to stay cool. Thank goodness for the cold plunge that I have. That's been a lifesaver. I'll be doing my second dip tonight after jujitsu. Um, especially two hours of class tonight. I'm sure I'm going to work up a sweat, but, uh, yeah, I mean, really just laying low right now in my personal life, just kind of hanging out pumping out some work and some podcast content for y'all as I get ready to head to UFC 291 in Salt Lake City next weekend. Um, I still can't believe it's next weekend. That shit blows my mind, but I am fired up. But before we talk MMA action, let's talk the one and only sponsor here at Bose and TKOs, and that is Field Supplements. So Pump House is here. It's a non-stim pre-workout product, um, and they're having a way to stack up in the all-new pump house. Like all field products, they carefully constructed an ingredient formula that delivers the best muscle strength, performance, and endurance, paired with skin-splitting pumps and a focus complex that keeps you guys dialed in the entire workout. It's perfect for a stimulant-sensitive workout for late-night gym sessions that don't want to be awake after. So don't run, but sprint the Jimmy House-inspired non-stim pre-workout pump house. Go to fueledsupplements.com. Use promotion code BUCKETS. That's B-U-C-K-E-T-S for 15% off. You know, I've never been a pro non-stim pre-workout guy if I'm taking pre-workout because I don't very often. I want that stim. Uh, but in an instance, maybe I want a little li- a little lift before jiu-jitsu or something. Great non-stim things where... By the time I'm done with this, it's going to be over 5, 5.30. Do not want to deal with the, um, you know, the intensity of the caffeine ingestion uh, during the evening. It will affect your sleep. And we all need our Zs, if you know what I'm talking about. Especially those of you 30 plus. 28 was the year for me. Changed my life. Anyways, um, because we did the podcast late last week, not a lot of fights announced. This has not been official, but it has been circulating the web uh, that potentially the Alex Pieta Jan Blakovich fight with the Jamal Hill situation might be a in, uh, the interim title fight. No official noise there, which I'm all for. Give me five rounds, I'll be there. But one thing I'm not all for is supposedly Paula Costa is going to be out of the fight this weekend. There was rumors that Roman Delidzi would fill in. Roman Delidzi has denied that. Paula is going on Twitter asking the UFC to announce their fight. Uh, from what I saw, Chel Sonnen months ago uh, announced that it's going to be Paula Costa, Kamza, and Abu Dhabi in October. So lots of interesting things. Uh, I just hope that if Paula Costa does not fight in Salt Lake this weekend, that we get a, get a good replacement. As uh, I'm trying to get all that MMA action I'm paying for, you know what I'm saying? Other than that, uh, we have Emily Ducate taking on Ashley Yoder, October 14th. Great uh, fight in the women's division. I actually think I recommended that for Bose and TKOs uh, after Emily Ducati's last fight. 
to take on Ashley Yoder. So what you know about it. On my matchmaker Monday, I wanted Jungyeon Park and uh, Kayao Baralhyo, uh, but Kayao is fighting Nursultan Ruzaboev um, November 4th in Sao Paulo. And um, the Ultimate Fighter airs tonight. The final uh, episode of the first season, or the like the first round of fights, it'll be 406 alumni Hunter Azure, the number one seed in the bantamweight division, taking on the four seed for a clean sweep for Michael Chandler. Uh, debated filming this tomorrow just so we could talk about that, but I will not even be able to watch that probably till like 9.30 tonight. So um, we'll talk about that on next week's episode, episode eight. Um, most likely going to be dropping next Wednesday as well. Potentially trying to get my buddy to come. He lives in Prescott. Come film the episode pre-UFC 291. He watches MMA pretty frequently. Knows enough. It'd be fun to bounce some stuff off versus just me all the time. And then uh, get him post-UFC 291 to talk about his first live experience and talk about the card because it is a massive, massive card. We had Fight Week, now 291, 292 in Boston. Loaded summer, summer jam of fights. Uh, but this weekend we had UFC Fight Night Vegas 77. If I was not a hardcore MMA fan, I probably wouldn't have tuned in. Uh, there were some decent fights, though. I went 5-5 five and five again, um, which is a bummer. Uh, but I'm 39 and 29, Bows and TKO, so we're still plus 10. And some good fights that we did not break down was the main card affair, Francisco Prado with a round one TKO over Otman Azaitar. Performance of the night, 50 Gs. Uh, I had picked Francisco, so not mad about it, but that was a great fight. And entering in the prelims, an upset that did not go right for me, we had Mel Quizel Costa, unanimous decision over Austin Lingo. And, I mean, Melk was all over Austin in this fight. Austin's a dog. He trains with some, some dudes. He's durable. He's not going to quit on himself. But he took a beating for three rounds. He really didn't try to, you know, get the fight to go anywhere, but uh, allowed a kickboxing fight. Melk not only had the power advantage, he had the speed advantage. He was piecing up Austin. Um, I'm surprised he tried not to maybe get it down to the ground, uh, change some things up. But every time he got close to Melk, he was getting a uh, – uh, you know, uh, a two-piece and a, and, a, and a soda, so to speak. Uh, but, man, Milk looked good. His first official fight in featherweight at the UFC. I think there was a catchweight fight in his first bout. Um, and he shows he's, he's a very quality fighter, the real deal, because Austin Lingo is, is not an easy, an easy fight. Statistically, Austin only landed 39 total in significant strikes. Milk landed 108 total, 100 of those significant. So three times the volume output. Um, on significant strikes to his total dang near and majority of Melk's uh, strikes were considered significant. How they judge that, I'm guessing it's just a random guess. Um, I'm always skeptical, but I like to break the stats down. And in fighting, you see some things on Twitter and things surfacing around the web. They get super analytical, take down defense, strike percent, defense percentage. It's like, okay, this is just some AI spitting out random percentages. This is enough stats for me when it comes to UFC. We don't need to overanalyze a fighting sport where anything can happen. Outside of the high volume output, Melk also got three takedowns of his own in eight attempts and a submission attempt. So very, very clean performance. I'm sure he wished he would have got the finish. Austin now extends his losing streak to two. He is two and three in the UFC since his LF, LFA days. And Melk starts a new winning streak, gets his first win in a, 
um, since his UFC debut. So he is now one and one in the UFC. But first fight in featherweight gets the dub. And looks like he could be a future problem for sure. So, you know, Austin on the tough stretch. If he is still in the UFC, I'd like to see him square up with Lucas Alexander. And for Milk, how about a fight with David Onama? Come on, get the people what they want. That would be awesome. And again, pretty light card. So jumping right into the main card, huge uh, win here. Uh, one I did not predict. I liked the way Terrence started too. But Nazim Sadikov with a second round submission via rear naked choke over Terrence McKinney. In round one, I was like pretty confident Terrence is going to get this as an underdog. I had some friends ask, who do you like? I was like, you know, Terrence McKinney. I said, Terrence McKinney and Albert Jiraev are really good underdogs. Well, Terrence round one, got the takedown, gets the body lock. Looks like he's probably going to finish Nazim in the first round. And, you know, if you have a body lock on someone, it could tire your legs out a little bit, but it's going to tire the guy uh, trying to get out or trying to manage not taking some ground and pound. Well, round two, he came out opposite, got the back. In a weird situation, it gets to the cage where Terrence's arm was locked. So when you get the rear naked choke, you can't fight the arms if one of your arms is locked behind your back, you know, locked back there. You can't do much with it. And guys with muscles or thicker guys, you have that shoulder. Like, put your arm back here. Imagine trying to fight out. Well, you know, it's, it was just a really weird situation. He fell that way, landed that way, got it caught, and Nazim took advantage of it. Statistically, Nazim only landed 20 total strikes, eight of those significant with a submission attempt and a reversal. And for Terrence, he landed 21 total strikes, six of those significant, had two takedowns and five attempts, so not a great percentage, but it was a fun, action-packed fight. So Terrence extends his losing streak to two. He is two and three since the beginning of 2022. He's been very, very active. Um, the uh, 206 Spokompton alumni. Uh, Nazim extends his winning streak to eight. He is 3-0 in the UFC looking to do uh, damage in the UFC. And I would like to see him continue to climb up in competition. This is a very hypothetical fight, but if Brad Riddell were to make a comeback, Nazim would be the uh, a, a perfect opponent for him. And for Terrence, I would love to see him take on Alexander Hernandez, who has been a little up and down in his UFC career as well. I think that would be fireworks. And probably the most viral and talked about moment of the UFC was the fight. Norma Dumont with the unanimous decision over Chelsea Chandler. And, uh, you know, take this for as much as you want. But there was memes, you know, these girls got, got dump trunks back there. They're carrying some, some heavy baggage. And there was memes all over of the shorts uh, trying to contain uh, what, what was going on there. But also up against the cage, Norma... Literally made like a, a bowling ball grip with Chelsea trying to get up, do some control. It was funny. There was also the meme of Chelsea literally turning around and sprinting towards the octagon cage, which you don't see very often. It was kind of a weird moment. Norma chasing her down. That got memed. Um, so that was really the highlight. But Norma dominated this fight. Uh, statistically, she landed 98 total strikes, 47 of those significant, with three takedowns. And Chelsea only landed 72 total 22 of those significant with one takedown and three attempts. And the performance here, there's a lot on the line. Since Nunez is left, what's the future of the featherweight division? Both these girls naturally could fit in featherweight. There is not a deep amount of people. Chelsea's still ranked 15 in the bantamweight, although she fights, you know, featherweight. 
a lot of the other deeper fighters have gone to PFL for their 145 division. Um, now there's the potential purchase of Bellator. There's just a hot mess of what's going on in women's MMA. I do not think this performance made Norma stick out from everybody and allowed her to, you know, really stake her claim in for a title shot. I really do think Raquel Pennington's first, Myra's second after her performance, which we'll talk about in a second. So it's just a hot mess express for the women. But Norma does extend her winning streak to three, moves up one in the bantam rank, bantamweight rankings to 12. And Chelsea has her five-fight winning streak come to an end. She is one and one in the UFC and stays at 15 in the rankings. So, again, nobody has a clue what's going on with the division. Let's say Norma does stay at featherweight. I think the only matchup that really makes sense is Josanne Nunez, who's been on a roll crushing her competition. And for Chelsea, she could fight Carol Hosa, who um, has been pretty active of late as well. Then moving on, we had uh, Jun Yong Park with a second-round submission via rear naked choke over Albert Duraev. And this was an interesting matchup because Jung was killing Albert with volume, but every time Albert freaking threw a punch, you know when you play UFC, the video game, you got like a light punch and a power punch, or you're playing MLB, a light swing, power swing? All his were power hooks, man. That must have been the tape he had. If I could come in and get him with the hook, I could finish him. And he landed some major shots, but the Iron Turtles defense is just too strong. That chin is too strong. And, and he was able to take it was able to, to, to continue to dominate with volume. And when you're throwing power punches like that for seven-plus minutes in round two, um, obviously it's going to take down that stamina bar, take down your cardio. And um, Drive was just gassed. Young got, uh, Jung Young got the, the back, got the rear naked choke. And in my opinion, one of the biggest wins for um, Park right now, and he low-key is on a roll and not many people, including myself, are giving him the credit. Um, but statistically, Albert landed 32 total strikes, 31 of those significant. Uh, he did get a takedown in two attempts, so it was one for one. And Park landed 77 total, so again, a lot higher volume, 50 of those significant. He had three submission attempts, a knockdown, and was 0 for 1 in his own takedown attempts. So Park, like I said, he's cruising. The Iron Turtle's moving, man. Uh, he extends his winning streak to four. He is 5-1 and one since the beginning of 2021. That's very impressive in a deep middleweight division. And Albert starts a new losing streak and moves to 3-2 and two in the UFC. For Matchmaker Monday, like I said, I would love to see the Iron Turtle take on, take on Kayao, but Kayao has an opponent. So quickly we'll do some matchmaking here. I mean, this got announced like an hour ago. And Albert, I think a matchup with Jacob Malkoon, that would be a great match for him. Let's go middleweight rankings. So the way I, I try to find my match makes, I used to use rankingmma.com. Hopefully someone could nudge these guys. Whoever runs this website was the best. It talked about who they had matched up against recently. Um, you know, people inactive for different things in the rankings. And they would rank divisions like 60 deep. So it's good for matchmaking purposes. But that stopped probably this year. They stopped updating that. So I use Tapology, which is really good as well. It mixes in all promotions, so it basically gives you the rankings of all of MMA. Uh, so when I'm trying to match make with the UFC, it can get confusing sometimes. And uh, this this website is heavy, so it, it, if you have a lot of tabs open, it's not the easiest to load. So that's why I try to avoid it. But jumping into Tapologies, they got Jung Young at 27. 
Uh, Joe Pfeiffer's there. Do not see that happening. Ikram's booked. GM3's booked. Robocop's booked. Brad Tavares is booked. Bruno Silva. I said that'd be the, the appropriate fight for uh, Bo Nickel. Uh, Kyle's there. So maybe Bruno Silva coming off a loss. He's won four of the last seven. Um, Edmund Shabazian's there. I doubt that'll happen, though. Um, Bruno Fiera, potentially, uh, who just came in the UFC, had a huge win against Robocop and uh, took a loss recently. I doubt Phil Haas is going to get that fight. Maybe Rodolfo Vieira. So let's go Rodolfo Vieira or Bruno Ferreira. I think those would be the, the, the next steps for the Iron Turtle. A win there. He's right in the top of the mix. The middleweight division has some fun, uh, not necessarily prospects, but fun young fighters, maybe on the brink of the prime or just entering their prime. And then the short notice co-main event, we had Jack Della Maddalena with a split decision victory over Basil Hafez. Five days notice, had struggles making the weight, made the weight, fight of the night, 50,000 bonus to Jack Della, who had to cut uh, and make weight twice as he had uh, cut weight and prepared to weigh in last Friday. Uh, his opponent pulled out the, you know, the medical issues potentially saved the guy's life. So, um, you know, the all glory to God there. Um, and for Basil, you know, he's a big dude. I bet you that weight cut was not easy. Five days notice. Weighed in, uh, got the hour um, allotment to weigh in again. Officially made the weight. And, I mean, his cheeks were sucked in. He looked like he had nothing left. And if you're going to take a fight like this on short notice and murder yourself in a weight cut, go after it. And that's what Basil did. He fucking went after it. He came, boom, shot out of a cannon, blast double, put Jack on his ass, and won this fight. He really did. I know that we're going to talk about the strikes. Jack landed way more volume. But rounds one, round two, Basil got him down, controlled him the entire round, landed grounded, pounded himself. How does he not win those rounds? I don't give a shit what Jack does in the round three unless it's 10-8, which there, it wasn't that at all. How, how in the hell he actually got this win? I'm assuming because he's a big name, a prospect, on a roll. This guy just signed with the UFC. I mean, there's got to be some something going on, a little nudge on the shoulder like, hey, let's, let's get this guy the, you know, the win. But uh, it, it, it turned out to probably be the best fight on the card, especially because everyone expected Jack to come out and demolish the guy. I know I did. Um, and, uh, you know, Basil really did deserve this fight. He has made a name for himself against a good competition. He deserves more UFC fights. And that's really what makes the UFC fun. Not only is, you know, the UFC promotion usually announcing fights prematurely, which I think is the situation with this Paula fight this weekend before bouts are signed. Maybe even some fighters, you know, in their management even care about it. And then you got to let the fighters get accepted. Then there's health issues. Then there's the weigh-ins, the week of, short notice. You try to match multiple guys from the same weight class in case something happens. It's just a, it's a whole nightmare. Uh, but every once in a while, you get guys like Basil, who is now on the radar, deservedly so, uh, should be a rostered UFC fighter, and looked pretty goddamn good while doing it. The thing that I hate is everyone just, probably no one watched this. That's what I'm assuming happened. But in the world of MMA Twitter, everyone said that, oh, you know, it is what it is. Jack will be fine. Move on. They're not, you know, really giving Jack any uh, discredit for this, which Jack should have cleaned house here. I think that the two weight cuts probably made a difference, but he did not look good in this fight. His game plan pulling guillotines multiple times. 
It just looked like he really did not want to win this fight or didn't want to be there. He was probably exhausted for, from the two weeks. Uh, but a lot of other instances where young fighters that are on massive streaks have any kind of issues, like a Bo Nickel who hasn't had an issue, but the day he does, there'll be fucking noise everywhere. Like, oh my gosh. Um, Mokayev, like any of these young guys that are coming in and cleaning house with big winning streaks, every little move they do is under a microscope. It's criticized. And for Jack, it just gets to fly under, you know, it is what it is. Move on. Uh, I don't really necessarily agree with that. I love Jack. I think he's a phenomenal UFC fighter, but I think the hype is a little premature and a little overrated. And what is he? He's only like 27. He could take this as a learning experience. He's 26. Not even close to his prime. His birthday September, so working on 27. He has a ton of room to grow. This should just be another learning experience for him, but it does deserve a little slap on the wrist, a little bit of, hey, dude, what, you know, what was this about? So to the stats, Jack landed 149 total strikes, 83 of those significant. He did get one takedown and two attempts. Basil landed 48 total strikes, 32 of those significant. He had three takedowns, although 20 attempts and a reversal. And Jack extends his winning streak to 15. He is 6-0 in the UFC. He does move up one spot in the rankings to number 13. I don't know why, but they, they did that. Basil has his two-fight winning streak come to an end. He does start a new losing streak in his UFC de C debut. But again, five days notice. Bravo, Basil. Now, I would love to see them run back Sean Brady, Jack Della. I think Sean Brady's going to clean house if that's the case, especially after this last performance with that wrestling. We'll see if that happens, though. Um, I, I just think that's a fantastic matchup. Two guys on their way up. I, I like the original matchup. And I would say, Basil, give him a fight with your boy, Eric Anders. He earned it. Welcome to the UFC. What a show on five days notice. Brutal weight cut, I mean. If you guys can experience what he just went through, oh, my God, that's got to be fucking brutal. I haven't even cut weight in a doll. I mean, clearly you could probably tell. But I've been in those instances where you have to do hard fucking shit on a very short amount of time. And uh, not many people will be willing to do that. It earned them... You know, potentially a career-changing moment, although he lost. People are aware of him. He should have won the fight, and he will get more UFC fights for that. And then the main event. I mean, what a, did not see this coming. Myra Bueno Silva with a second-round submission. What I did not see coming was this. Via ninja choke, you know, standing, whatever you want to call this submission. I'm not an expert on this. Got to keep my jiu-jitsu game. I'll talk to my professor, see what he says. Over Holly Holm, performance of the night. She called it. She was confident. She even shocked herself a little bit in the performance. You could see in the post-fight interview, she was like, oh, my gosh, this just happened. Myra was swinging hard. Everything, you know, it was, it, she was swinging with an intent like Albert Duraev did in the park fight. And I think Holly Holm realized that. But Holly Holm is the boxing champion. Move her feet. Keep going. Throw volume. I was surprised that as good as Myra is on the ground or as good as a submission artist she is, you know, that's where, how she's gotten to this point, that she was going to put her against the cage, potentially look to take her down, and try to have that as an advantage. Um, clearly overzealous with it in the second round. She did it in the first round. Second round, Myra synced that sucker up real quick. And um, I don't know. It, it, you know, I remember when Holly Holm came to the UFC, boxer, kickboxer, 
very well-renowned cardio. She's 42 years old. You know, the fact that she's still in that shape, bravo to her. Um, I just did not think this would be the game plan. I thought she would use her striking to her advantage, beat her with volume and out pointer in, in, a, in a main event. Um, so I'm just a little shocked by the game plan from Holly Holm. Um, but very massive performance by Myra. She does look like she could compete. She does have some power. She, you know, her striking isn't amazing. It's there, but she is well, well-rounded and great on the ground. And um, obviously, is always thinking submission. Holly landed 50 total strikes, 27 of those significant. She was 0 for 1 in her own takedown attempts. And Myra only landed 31 total strikes, 20 of those significant with the one submission attempt. It was beautiful. I mean, Holly, when she comes in, she comes in like a, a linebacker trying to get a tackle. That head's deep. She was able just to lock it up, sink it in. So Myra extends her winning streak to four. She moves up seven spots to number three in the rankings. And Holly starts a new losing streak and is one and two since the beginning of 2022. She moves down two spots to number five. Huge move up for Myra. Um, again, with Nunez, this is straight chaos. I do think that Raquel earned the title shot over Myra. This is a huge step up for her. Holly Holm, that's a massive win. Um, but Raquel has beat some of the best competition of late. I think her and um, Juliana Pena are going to fight for the title. So if that is the case, I would love to see Myra fight Ketlin Vieira for an eliminator fight. And for Holly Holm, if she's going to continue to fight, the time is now. Give us the rematch. Holly Holm, Misha Tate. Give the people what they want. That's a win-win for UFC, those two women, and the fans, and everybody else. So again, pretty light fight night Apex card. We have another fight night this weekend before a huge, huge 291. But this one's going down in London at the O2. And boy, is it a card. Wake up with your coffee, maybe a couple shots of Jameson. You know, whatever you're feeling this weekend. The prelims are at 9 a.m. Pacific. Noon Pacific for the main card, all on ESPN+. I'm going to be golfing early morning, come back straight into UFC action, and then I'm watching uh, Oppenheimer Saturday night. That's a boy, that's a single male 31 day if I've ever heard of it. I can't wait. Um, some good fights we will not break down. We have the Contender Series showdown between Chris Duncan and Yanal Ashmuz and some more Dana White Contender Series alums. Mick Parkin, 6-0, Against Jamal Pogues, 10-3. Chris Duncan's 10-1. Yanal is 7-0. So some pristine records. Contender Series showdowns going on the line in London. Setting up the card. Wins here for them. Huge for their career. We are kicking it off in the prelims, though. We have Ketlin Phenomeno Vieta, the 31-year-old fighter with a 13-3 record and the number four next to her name, taking on Panny Banzai Kianzad, the 31-year-old fighter with a 17-6 record and the number six next to her name. Now, this is an awesome fight in the women's division, man. I mean, both women in their primes uh, have a diverse background. Ketlin is trying to rebound after that loss to Raquel, although, you know, I thought she lost the Holly Holm fight, but I've talked about that enough of late. And Patty's on a roll, you know, beside a loss to Pennington as well. So they've really demolished everyone in the division besides Raquel. Again, another reason why I think she deserves that title shot. And uh, a, a win here puts them right back into the top, right out of a title shot. For Ketlin, she's got a black belt in BJJ and judo. She is on a one-fight losing streak and is 2-2 two and two since the beginning of 2021. 
Penny has a kickboxing and wrestling background. She has a purple belt in BJJ. She's an ultimate fighter, Invicta, and Cage Warriors alum. She was also a former Cage Warriors champion. She is on a one-fight winning streak, but is 2-1 since 2021. Now, the way Ketlin fights, it's tough. She's coming off back-to-back split decision fights. One win, one loss. She does enough. She d- uses grappling, heavy attack. But she really doesn't, you know, have that fan favorite kind of fight action. She doesn't have the big moment. She doesn't take a lot of chances. And she's going to have to do that in this fight. Um, she does have wins over Holly Holm and Misha Tate since 2021. But again, later in their careers. And, you know, no, no offense to like home Tate, all the OGs of the sport, but women are evolving a lot, especially the young ones coming in. And so we are seeing uh, the young women come in up the rankings quickly, a la Aaron Blanchfield, but they've just added a lot more to the game, right? They're able to go to these MMA gyms. They train with men. They have more women to train with. It just, it's a whole better atmosphere for women in MMA. And I do think Panny's going to come out to win this fight with high volume. She's going to try to, you know, really, let Ketlin know what she's all about early. And I think this fight's really going to depend if Ketlin can get the takedown or not. Penny's pretty good up against the cage, good in clinch situations. So I'm interested to see how it happens. I am betting on Ketlin getting the takedown, though, having a lot of control time. You know, she's only 31 as well. You'd think she'd improve her striking. She doesn't have as much experience as Penny. This really is a coin flip fight. I am going to go with phenomenal. I'm taking Ketlin Vieira, but I would not put her on a parlay if possible. And then a really fun fan favorite matchup early. We got some early matchups in these prelims that are going to get the energy flowing. We got Brian Bam Bam Barbarena in the prelims, man. Golly. 34-year-old fighter, 18-10 and 10 record, taking on Mahmoud Makhmuradov. The 33-year-old fighter with a 25-8 and eight record. I fucking love Bam Bam. He is going to look to get the fucking party started early. And Mahmoud is looking for his first win since 2021. He's pulled out of some fights recently. You know, all things are still on track. I would assume he's going to come out aggressive. He has knockout power, a lot of knockout finishes. So that equals a fan favorite matchup. I would be shocked if this went to the scorecards. Brian has a blue belt in BJJ. Three of his six fights have been fight of the night. When he shows up, he is bam, bam. He shows out. He is on a two-fight losing streak and is 2-2 two and two since the beginning of 2022. 11 of his 18 wins are via knockout, and he is a King of the Cage alum. Now, Mahmed has a kickboxing background. He fought K1 and in boxing. He is on a two-fight losing streak and is 2-1 and one since the beginning of 2021. 17 of his 25 wins are via knockout. Five of his eight losses are via submission. He does have some advantages, a three-inch reach advantage and a six-inch leg reach advantage. The Vegas odds right now, I don't know where this is coming from. Clearly, I've not seen a lot of mock mud. I looked him up on uh, you know, the internet. Looked him up on all Wikipedia. There was some interesting background on who he is. So I think some of these pullouts and the things he's gone, I think uh, the UFC has not been his main priority. I know Bam Bam, he's a rancher. He fucking punches trees. He's as tough as they come. He's going to be aggressive early. Maybe even looks to get a takedown here. Why not? 
I'm going with Bam Bam. I'm riding the underdog. I am putting him on that parlay. We marking that is down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Mark Bone Crusher to Casey. 30 years old with a 16-6 and six record, taking on Joel El Phenomeno Alvarez, another 30-year-old fighter with a 19-3 and three record. What I just talked about, Madalena and Sean Brady, two prospects pretty much at the same place in their career. Those two fight a win there, it catapults you. Although these guys aren't in their top 15, these are two guys that are young, just entering their prime with a ton of UFC experience. They've added a lot of wrinkles to their game, like the Casey adding wrestling. This is a massive win here. This lightweight division is so deep, a loss puts you down to like 50. It's a long climb up. There's going to be new, really great talent entering that pool. A win here puts you right where you need to be a couple wins away from the big time. Well, I think we've seen a lot of great things for both these guys. Again, they're in their prime. They're well-rounded, and they have some quality victories on their resume. Again, though, the lightweight division might be the deepest pool of all of the UFC. So a loss here really puts a wrinkle in, you know, what are your goals, what's your career trajectory, and what are you striving for as a fighter? I'm sure, you know, being a fighter, you have to be confident. You always want to be a, a guy that can get a belt. But when you're 33, 34, you're not even in the top 15. Like how much is, you know, most people, you know, late 30s, their performance dips, I think. With all the performance institutes, the PI, things like that, it's really helping these guys' career last longer. Nutritionists, you know, knowledge of nutrition and how to um, hold your body, not sparring so much outside of camp, those things. Um, but the reason I bring this up is in the UFC, you have so little room, uh, you know, to, to play with. You can only take so many hits and your career's in a different place. But when you are in your late 30s, you know, it's like, you know, maybe even early mid thirties and you're not even the top 15. Is it really realistic to go for the title fight? Are you looking then for just big paydays? Are you looking for the best, you know, names that sell who have the most viewers? It really changes a lot of things up. That's why I stress the importance there. Um, but Mark, he trains out of American top team. He has a purple belt in BJJ. He is on a one fight losing streak and is two and one since 2022 and six of his 16 wins are via knockout. Joel has a brown belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is only 1-1 one one since 2021. He's definitely struggled to make weight, so that's going to be a topic of concern. Uh, sometimes, you know, a guy weighs in two pounds over, the guy might, uh, you know, Casey might be like, screw that, that's an advantage, I'm not fighting you. So, you know, there's going to be some drama there, especially with uh, the fight before. Mockmid's pulled out a lot, so fingers crossed, knock on wood, no pullouts, we get a full card. Um, 16 of 19, uh, of Joel's 19 wins are via submission and two of his three losses are via knockout. He does have some length for him, four inch reach advantage and a three inch leg reach advantage, um, which I expect to be a lot of kickboxing. That's huge for him. I believe Mark is going to need to bring back some of the early to Casey, some of the craziness of striking the non- you know, pattern-like striking that comes out of nowhere. And for Joel, you know, he's going to have that reach advantage. He's going to need to be able to keep Mark at distance. I think he's going to have that striking advantage. And Mark has showcased some grappling of late. 
So it's going to be interesting if he tries to go to a grappling heavy attack, especially with the reach advantage that Alvarez has. But Joel is a brown belt. BJJ is pretty nifty on the ground too. I expect this to go everywhere, but I am taking the longer Joel El Phenomeno, both Phenomenos uh, in the UFC, um, but I am avoiding this on a parlay. And moving on to the prelim headliner, we got Davey Dangerous Grant with uh, the 37-year-old fighter with a 15-6 and six record taking on Daniel Sancora Marcos, the 30-year-old fighter with a undefeated 14-0 and 0 record. Now, Davey's stringing together some nice wins in his late 30s, to be honest. I mean, after a tough 2021, he's been back at the drawing board getting those dubs. Now, in the hometown crowd, He's getting a UFC newcomer full of confidence. He, he is undefeated as a pro, 2-0 in the UFC, so this should be a fun dance. Now, Davey has got a brown belt in BJJ. He is an Ultimate Fighter alum. Five of his last six fights have been performance of the night or fight of the night. That is massively impressive. He's been putting on shows. All of his fights have been absolutely fun to watch. He's on a two-fight winning streak. And nine of his 15 wins are via submission. Four of his six losses are also via submission. So he likes to get down and dirty, you know, maybe risk an arm bar to get a guillotine or something. You know, he, 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 he likes to play uh, poker, heads up poker on the mat. Now, Daniel is on a 14-fight winning streak. Two of them in the UFC, and eight of his 14 wins are via knockout. So um, both guys' strengths a little bit different. And... Daniel showcased his aggressiveness. He's been a little wild at the start of the bell in his UFC career, and I think that's going to be the case here. The thing is, is if Davey can weather that, get into round two, maybe even around three, I think the later the fight goes, the bigger advantage he has to find a weird, you know, maybe 50-50 position up against the cage to get a submission. Uh, but I am not betting on that. I'm taking the undefeated Sankora. I am not putting him on a parlay, though. And then we have the main card. These guys are always fighting if it's in London. We got Lerone the Miracle Murphy, 31 years old, with an undefeated and a draw record. He's 12-0-1, taking on Josh Kuya Kulabau, the 29-year-old fighter with an 11-1-1 record. So neither fighter really has tasted defeat. A draw, you know, Kulabau does have a defeat, but 11 wins. So Lerone's definitely helped with the charge and the, the promotion and the UK fighting. He's had some really awesome fights against some stiff competition. Although he only has five UFC fights, this is going to be another banger. It's going to be added to his list, and I can't wait. Lerone, he trains out of Manchester top team. He's got a blue belt in BJJ. He is on a 12-fight winning streak with the draw, but is 4-0-1 in the UFC, and seven of his 12 wins are via knockout. Now, Joshua has a purple belt in BJJ. He's on a three-fight winning streak and is 3-1-1 in the UFC, and five of his 11 wins are via knockout. I really do think Liron is going to have the advantage on the feet as long as this is a boxing or kickboxing affair. I think Joshua is going to look to get the fight to the ground. I expect this fight to go both places. I think Liron's a little bit more experienced, a little bit more technical, a little bit more higher IQ than Kulabau right now. 
Uh, he's a couple of years older. Again, more experienced. I think that plays to advantage. Also, the hometown crowd, main card opener. You got to perform. You got to deliver for the London 02 crowd. For that reason, I'm taking the Miracle Murphy. I'm putting him on a parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. And then we have Jai, the black country banger, Herbert. 35-year-old fighter with a 12-4 and 1 record, taking on Fair's smile killer, Ziam, the 26-year-old fighter with a 13-4 and record. I bring this up all the time, but this is really important, especially a 26-year-old fighter, a 35-year-old fighter. There is a ton on the line in this fight for Jai. It's a massive coming out opportunity for Ziam on the main card. You know, you got all the London fans, the O2 fans. And a win here really puts you in an interesting position years before your prime. Now, Jai, he has a Muay Thai style. He's also an orthodox fighter. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He's a Cage Warriors alum and former champion. He is coming off a 1-1-1 to 2022 so mixed results this past year. Nine of his 12 wins are via knockout. Three of his four losses are via knockout. To knock out or to be knocked out. Ferris trains out of Killcliffe FC. That's the place to be. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He was 1-1 one one last year. Five of his 13 wins are via knockout. Four via submission. So nine of his 13 wins are via finish. And three of his four losses are via submission. Very well-rounded, been submitted a few times. I really do think majority of this fight's going to be a kickboxing affair. If that is the case, I am definitely going to take the younger, continuously improving Ziam. I do think this is going to go to the distance. It's going to be a, a back-and-forth affair, come down to the wire, see if the crowd can get the black country banger over the line. But I'm not betting on it. I'm taking fair Ziam, and I'm not putting this on a parlay. My parlay shit last week, if you, 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 you want to bring that up. I know, I know. Five and five was the best of weeks. Last time I bet a London card, I hit a 7K parlay, though. So just saying, you know what I'm saying? And I was golfing that morning. Going to be golfing this Saturday morning. Might be good juju. Um, then we have Paul Bearjew Craig, 35 years old with a 16-6-1 record and the number nine next to his name, taking on Andre Sergipano Mooney's the 33-year-old fighter with a 23-5 and record and the number 14 next to his name. Now, this is Paul's first fight at middleweight. Uh, it's definitely a tough opponent getting right into the top 15. I believe Paul is ranked at number nine in the light heavyweight rankings, pretty sure. Um, but he's going to be eager for a victory because he's coming off his first UFC loss against um, Brendan Allen. So a ton on the line for both men. Paul has a black belt in BJJ. Two of his last four fights have been performance of the night. This guy's a, a bonus machine. He has the second most submission wins in light heavyweight history, six of them, and the most triangle choke submissions in UFC light heavyweight history with four big dudes with triangle chokes. It's interesting. He always whips them out. Sometimes he gets knocked on his ass. The guy comes in, boom, triangle. Uh, he is on a two-fight losing streak and is 2-2 two and two since the beginning of 2021, so hasn't been super active. 13 of his 16 wins are via submission, and four of his six losses are via knockout. 
Now, Andre is a Southpaw fighter. He is a third-degree black belt in BJJ. He also has a dark blue Prajit in Muay Thai. He's a Contender Series two-time alum and a Jungle Fight alum. He has a 2021 submission of the year against Ronaldo Souza. He's on a one-fight losing streak, but is 3-1 since the beginning of 2021. 15 of his 23 wins are via submission, and four of his five losses are via knockout. Both these men heavy on the submission victories and a lot of their losses via knockout. Stylistically, though, you know, it's definitely going to be interesting to see. You know, Paul Craig fought at heavyweight once, so he's, he's almost on the killer gorilla trajectory. How does he look at middleweight? That's, you know, big weight difference between middleweight and light heavyweight. And this is a very fun matchup. Both men great with jujitsu. They live off submission victories. They've definitely taken some L's via, via knockout. And typically the saying goes, you get two grapplers, it equals a striking battle. I do think that'll be the case in this fight for majority of the fight. But I wouldn't be surprised, you know, maybe up against the cage, a couple leg trips, maybe someone gets knocked on their ass. I think we're going to see scrambles everywhere. Uh, maybe, you know, someone tries to mix in some takedown attempts, we get some scrambling. I expect this just to be straight chaos for three rounds. Potential fight of the night, uh, depending on how uh, Paul's uh, weight cut goes. I do expect Andre to have the advantage with uh, Paul's first attempt cutting down. That's never easy. And I do think he's got a little bit more technical hands. For that reason, I'm taking Muniz, but I am not putting him on a parlay. Really excited to see this guy fight. We get Nathaniel the Prospect Wood, 29 years old with a 19-5 record, taking on Andre Touchy Feely. Uh, he's from Federal Way. You know, I moved in Seattle when I first moved to Seattle. It's Federal Way, so, you know, we got a connection. Uh, but Andre Touchy-Feely, the 33-year-old fighter with a 22-9 and record. Nathaniel Wood, since he's moved up in divisions, man, he has looked amazing at featherweight from bantamweight. He's fighting Andre, though, who is in his prime, and he can't really take a loss at this point in his career. If he wants to get back into that top 15 and fight the upper um, competition in the UFC at featherweight, you can't take that L here to Nathaniel Wood. Nathaniel trains out of the Great Britain top team. He's a Cage Warriors alum and champion with two successful title defenses. He was also a Bellator alum. He's on a two-fight winning streak. Nine of his 19 wins are via knockout, four via submission. So 14 of his 19 wins are via finish. Andre trains out of Team Alpha Male. He's on a one-fight winning streak and is 1-1-1 one, one, one since the beginning of 2021. Hasn't been very active, had an injury. Again, a guy that's shown so much potential, a win here is, is everything. Nine of his 22 wins are via knockout. He is a King of the Cage alum. He does have a five-inch reach advantage. Now, the big story here for me is Feely has the reach advantage. I think, you know, he's going to try to use that but it's the leg kicks of wood. That's what he lives off of, and they are nasty. I wouldn't be surprised if Feely does look to mix in a little, a few takedown attempts, maybe if it's possible to catch one of those fucking leg kick or one of those body kicks. You could try that. I do think this is a coin flip fight as well. A lot of very evenly matched fights, but I'm taking wood. I think he's going to put on a, a fantastic showing and really leap up the ladder board here, and I think those leg kicks are really going to play a part. Um, I am not putting this on a parlay though. And then the co-main, how this got the co-main, they, they must really love meatball Molly and the London O2 stadium. 
We got Molly Meatball McCann, the 33-year-old fighter with a 13-5 record, taking on Julia Storienko, Stolyarenko, the 30-year-old fighter with a 10-8-2 record. And this is like, you know, Molly got put in a crucifix and destroyed against Aaron Blanchfield, who is going to be a legend of the sport. I really think this is just set up like, like hey, let's set up the Aspinall main event. Let's get the crowd going. Give Molly a rebound layup fight. Get back on track fight. That's the only thing that makes sense to me on, on this, to be honest. Molly has a purple belt in VJJ. Three of her last four fights have been performance of the night or fight of the night. Again, she gets the crowd hyped up. She's, you know, her and Patty, she's like the opposite of Patty, the female version. Hype up the crowd, screaming on the mic. She, she, she loves all the glory that she gets. Six of her 13 wins are via knockout, and she goes for it. Not a lot of women in this division get knockout finishes. She does, and she is on a one-fight losing streak and is 2-1 two, two and one since 2022. Julia has a black belt in BJJ. She got a silver at the ADCC European Championships in 2019 and multiple seconds at IBJJF Worlds and Europeans. She is an Invicta alum and former champion or only Invicta fight. She is on a one-fight losing streak. She is 1-4 and four in the UFC. Of course, with uh, ADCC and IBJJF accolades, nine of her 10 wins are via submission. Three of her seven losses are via knockout. And she does have a four-inch reach advantage. This is definitely a clash of styles. I think Molly, as she typically does, is going to come out aggressive with high volume early, look to get the crowd going, look to set up the main event, look to be the, the fucking you know, temperature in the room. And I'm betting she's going to do that. She looked lost on the ground against Aaron Blanchfield. I picked Molly in that you know, fun little underdog hit. I was like, hey, Aaron doesn't have a lot of experience. How's her striking? We don't know. Didn't need to see it. And uh, Julia's a black belt. If she does get the takedown, it's going to be interesting because whatever we saw from Molly, the amount of time she's had since that fight is not going to be good enough on the ground against a black belt ADCC medalist. So, you know, if the fight gets to the ground, it's going to be interesting. I'm betting it's not. I'm taking meatball Molly. London's going wild. I'm going to put her on a parlay. We market that ish down, and we get in that bread. Moving on. The main event we got Tom Aspinall, 30 years old with a 12 and 3 record and the number 5 next to his name, taking on Marcin Tiber, Tiber, Tibura, the 37-year-old fighter with a 24 and 7 record and the number 10 next to his name. Now, Tom's awaited return from injury against a very tough veteran who's looking to shock the hometown crowd and, and, and get another resurgence of uh, revelance in the heavyweight division. But Tom Ospinall is that guy. He's well-rounded. He's built like a fucking brick shithouse, and he has completely dominated his competition. Uh, he has a black belt in BJJ. Four of six... Four of six Tom's... U Tom has had four fights in the UFC. Excuse me. Six fights in the UFC. Four of them have been performance of the night. This guy puts on, you know, he's a, a heavyweight pay-per-view slayer. And uh, he's really leading the charge in London, him, Leon Edwards, and a few others. He is a Cage Warriors alum, and nine of his 12 wins are via knockout. Now, Marcin trains out of Syndicate MMA. He has a black belt in BJJ. 
He's an M1 alum and former champion. He is on a two-fight winning streak. And nine of his 24 wins are via knockout, six via submission. So 15 of his 24 wins are via finish. Four of his seven losses are via knockout. Now, as long as Tom is healthy, you never know from some major knee injuries. I've been watching his YouTube. He's been video blogging the, the lead up to this fight, which I don't think he's done before. He looks healthy. I think he's going to continue to roll. He's going to push towards the heavyweight title shot. I mean, some of these guys in heavyweight right now, Tom Aspinall is one scary dude. If Marcin can dirty box, get him up against the cage a little bit, you know, grab at that leg, maybe get some takedowns, um, and wear on him for a few rounds, there's definitely potential. But I doubt Tom's going to let it get there. I think he's going to get the, the highlight finish. I'm putting him on that parlay. We're marking the hometown kid, and we getting that bread. But again, fun little Saturday afternoon matinee. Wake up, couple couple shots of JMO, you know, couple espressos, whatever you need to do to get the day started. We got a fun deep fight night card. Lots of evenly matched fights here. And next week, Salt Lake City, the Delta Center's back. I grew up going to the Delta Center. We get this card headlined by Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje for the BMF title. I can't wait. Super stoked to break that down. Hopefully, I can have my friend make an appearance for both episodes. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. Episode 7, Bows and TKOs. Oh, yeah, and lastly, rocking my Steelers gear. Fired up for the NFL season. If you have not seen the new quarterback Netflix, I just finished it. Phenomenal. It even got approved for season 2. Uh, Omaha Productions and Peyton Manning are putting it on. It's just brilliant. You know, if, if that was a match made in heaven, it's a match made in heaven. They need to do this year over year. Uh, check it out. Um, but I'm super fu fucking fired up for football season, man. I mean, my Angels, it's a shit show. All my other sports, it's a shit show. So let's go football season. But UFC 291 next week. We'll be back probably Wednesday. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. See you next week.